was on staff here a number of years ago. Uh, he's been a great friend of mine and encouragement uh, for many, many years. Uh, he and his wife, Joni, and their two beautiful kids are now uh, intercessory missionaries at the uh, International House of Prayer. It's not the pancake place, but the prayer place in Kansas City. And we support Brian and Joni as a church. And so he gets to come back and invest in us. And um, just before he speaks, I, uh, I'm taking your minutes. Okay. <laughs> You usually take minutes from me. I'm going to take them from you. Uh, we were praying as a worship team before the service, and I saw this really clear vision. I just closed my eyes, and I'm all into fields these days, so I saw fields. And I saw like an old-fashioned crop duster, and I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit flying this old-fashioned crop duster and just flying over the fields. And I said, Lord, what are you dropping? And he said, Encouragement. So I just think the Holy Spirit today, through Brian's message, through worship, and all that God's doing right now, he is coming with a flood of encouragement for us. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for Brian. I just want you to open your heart to whatever God wants to release from heaven upon you. Um, God's doing a good work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for abundance. Thank you for your presence, your goodness, your love to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are uh, dropping encouragement upon us in your tender, overflowing, complete, heavenly way. So prepare our hearts to receive your encouragement, your truth. Invade us, Lord. We want to know you better. Just pray for your blessing, the filling of the Holy Spirit on Brian once again as he speaks the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Here, you want this paper? You need this? Awesome. Okay, well, great to be with you this morning, and I've been looking forward to being back. I've been here for a week, and so then right after second service, I'm jumping in my Saturday, and we're driving back to Kansas City. So the wife, uh, my wife, Joni, and our two kids are back home. So uh, it's, been, it's been a great visit. I've really enjoyed just connecting with friends back in the city. And, and first, before I start um, the, today's message, I just want to... Um, just because this church is on our, you guys are on our partnership team. You are helping support uh, day-night prayer and putting a, like a culture of prayer in the, in the church, the global church. You're a part of that as a church by partnering with Joni and I. I just want to show you a few pictures and just tell you a story or two just to give you some vision and, and just to help you connect and feel encouraged by what the Lord's doing. 1980, so um, just one story. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this statistic, back in 1985, there were only... Um, 25 places of prayer around the globe that were going 24-7. And so, now, the reason that matters, first, Jesus is worthy, but other, the Lord really releases his kingdom through prayer. He says he wouldn't do anything unless it's released through prayer. And so, um, this, is a, this is a really sign of the times, because if you look now, the conservative estimate for places of prayer around the globe are 10,000. So, in 30 years, it's gone from 25 to 10,000 around the earth. And so, for example, in Russia, recently, they've connected with some of the senior leaders at the International House of Prayer, and they've asked these two guys, these two bishops, were represented 90% of the Protestant church. They said, help us plant places of prayer in Russia or help our churches grow prayer in our local churches. How, how can we do that? That just happened this year. Um, you know, my wife and I, Joni, a couple years ago, we were in uh, southern China. We, were, we just crossed the border into Hong Kong, and we were at a training school where they were training different underground church streams how to combine music and prayer and bring it back to their church as a part of the as a way to pray and connect with the Lord. And uh, we had people that were from the Russian border that took a 50-hour train ride down 
just to be in that school for two or three months. And, um, you know, it's happening, uh, it's happening in Brazil, you know, during Mardi, uh, Mardi Gras, right? That's the, the, the really immoral and partying time. There's a, just this last year, there was like a thousand youth that fasted and prayed during that time in a place of prayer and then went out and did evangelism and just, you know, was releasing God's kingdom during that time. So, I mean, it's, it's just really exploding, if you want to use that word, across the earth. And I could tell you, I could sit here the whole time right now and tell you different testimonies, but the Lord's doing that. And we really believe it's a part of the signs of the time. God said, my house is a house of prayer. And I'm not just talking about houses up, I'm talking about churches with prayer, churches contending and connecting with God in prayer. I mean, just even some of the things you guys have been a part of with the prayer room here this last couple months, and even you individually connecting with the Lord. Because when we pray with the Lord, if we're connecting with him, he changes us. And then he releases his kingdom through us. And he said, all authority has been given to me, and he gave us that authority. And as the church prays and releases its authority, we're going to see you know, our society change and, and the Lord save souls. So it's very exciting. Now, our small little piece, uh, Joni and I, is this. So just want to give you a couple little pictures. So as you guys are partnering with us in Kansas City, you're sending us to Kansas City um, as a part of the International House of Prayer on staff there. So there's about 700 missionaries like us there. Our little piece is this. So uh, Joni's, um, so we kind of tag team, so she's, we, we've got young kids, so we tag team, and we also have a nanny, so we're kind of doing a dance every day, and uh, every day is a different family schedule, so if anybody can feel my, I'm trying, what are we doing again today? <laughs> but uh, she loves music, so the Lord's really um, given her that passion since she was a little girl, so she trains musicians in English, but this year they started a Chinese school, so it's all in Mandarin, they have 25 students from mainland China, in Taiwan and Hong Kong that have come uh, for, with a one-year visa and to learn how to combine, you know, basically how to have a heart of worship and then use tech music, musical skill in the local church or in a house of prayer so that people can get, you know, connected with the Lord. And so they have 25 students this year. It's just the first year. And so basically you're having an impact in the Chinese-speaking church on that other side of the globe by sending us to Kansas City. <laughs> So it's all in Mandarin, so she speaks about 10 hours of Mandarin a day, which she loves because she misses that. And then she, we like to have them over to our house for food because then she gets to eat all the food she likes. Just if you can't tell, my wife is from Taiwan, so I'm sorry I didn't say that for those that don't know. So she's been in the States for eight years. But that's been a really neat thing, and God had called her here, and she, didn't, she had all this experience and passion, and it's like God's slowly unfolding some of the purpose he has for my wife by being there. It's just so cool, like how the Lord slowly does that. And, you know, he does that for all of us as we just follow him. He'll put us in those places that he's prepared for us to do and be when we were, before we were even created. And it's been neat to see. Um, one other thing, you can go to the next slide, thanks, is that you guys are sowing into the body of Christ. We have um, uh, a program that's like trains people short term how to uh, connect with Jesus in prayer, grow in their love for the Lord. They'll get teaching, time in the prayer room, and time of fellowship. And it's called our Immerse program. So we immerse them in uh, kind of the lifestyle of being uh, on staff at the mission base for a week. And this last year, you can't probably read that, but we had 850 people that set aside a week to come and be with the Lord. And, um, and so they're there. And so, you know, we have a small team that we minister to them and strengthen them. And so you guys have been able to sow into those people. And 50% of them are internationals. So coming from different nations, church leaders, missionaries on sabbatical, um, you know, we had a lady that right now is in Pakistan just this last month that she's in Pakistan now, but she came and she runs, does crisis response teams. And the Lord really met her and she's like, I don't even, my paradigm for ministry's changed. Like I've got to incorporate some of the stuff the way the Lord's touched me. And, and when I go to these Muslim countries, 
We had another lady in our last program. She kind of fled from an Amish community that was really oppressive for her in her situation. And she stayed with us for about six months and came to some of the trainings. And the Lord just kept touching and healing her. And then the last few months she was praying that God would give her a chance to go back to that, to that community and just preach to them like about the Lord. But not see certain people because she didn't feel safe. And she didn't even have a ride to get there. And the Lord provided a ride. She showed up and within an hour or two met the people she wanted to, got to preach to them, pray for them, and then her ride took her back. <laughs> it was just so neat. So there's just different people that you guys, by, by us partnering together, you're sowing into. I just want to say thank you. Bless you. Thank you so much, you know. And thank the Lord. Um, so just if you pray for us this summer, um, we're going over to, and, and many of you know this, because we have even friends in the room here that are not only as a church, but are partnering with us. But we'll be in Asia, and so we'll be doing some different youth conferences and working with some of the churches there, as well as visiting my wife's family. So you can pray for us as we're doing that together as a family. Uh, so we have a spray that may help with sleeping for the airplane. We're, we are got a bag of kit, uh, games to play. I mean, we're, we're getting ready for that. So anyways, uh, all right. Well, Lord, I just thank you for today. And again, Lord, just release your encouragement. And just your blessing over us as we want to get, draw closer to you in intimacy and get to know the, your heart as a bridegroom. Just open our ears in Jesus' name. Amen. So the value we're kind of talking about today is intimacy with God. And when I say that, we may have a different thoughts or views of what that means. And it's not central in any way. It's literally getting close to God to get to know his heart and his thoughts about things, about the earth, about you about his plan of redemption and salvation. That's what intimacy with God means, drawing near to him. And now this isn't just a value of the church. Now, I, I remember being here on staff uh, a while ago with others and Randy and writing these out. And what we were doing is taking some of the, the things God did in this local body, maybe before some of you were even here, that marked the history of this church, that really said this is your unique expression in the body of Christ in this city. And uh, so in, drawing close to God is, a, is an inheritance for all believers, but we felt like this was one thing that was really um, the Lord had highlighted to our local body and that had so crucial and important. And I think one of the most ways to energize or to you know, um, help us draw closer to the Lord is really to see his heart as a bridegroom. Now that also seems like, well, what does that mean that he's a bridegroom? I'm going to talk about that today. But at the core of Jesus' being he is a bridegroom. In other words, he, has, he forsook everything in heaven and came down and actually became a human being forever, not just for those 33 years. Did you know that he is actually in heaven in a resurrected body? He's the only person as a fully, fully, a fully human being with a resurrected body in heaven. All the others are just in like a temporary spiritual body. He is, he is what we're going to become. And he became like man for us so that we could become like God. And I'm not saying be God, but to have his character and attributes, to be as kind as God, to be as loving as God, to be as as to have the power of God, to have his heart, to know him. He is the ultimate bridegroom that forsook everything so that we could be with him forever. And so, you know, there's a gospel being preached today where in the, in the church, which is like, hey, you know, get saved and then just get busy working for God. Now, there's truth to that. But the, this one I'm preaching you today is get saved so that you can get to know your bridegroom. Out of that will come fruit. Um, there's also a, a kind of a gospel or something being preached, which is like, um, you know, when the Lord is not, he's just, just disconnected from reality on earth. He's not really here. 
And, and maybe we wouldn't say that, but we really live our lives that way. But to know that you have a bridegroom that is wants you to draw close to him and learn the things on his heart so that you can partner with him in every aspect of your life, not just in this age, but in for, forever and eternal for, for eternity when he returns. So the things that you're learning right now in prayer and agreement with God and even surrendering your life, all of these things have eternal value and they carry on into the next stage or age with the Lord. It's not like it just starts over. Does that make sense? If you can see the eternal thread with the present thread, it really is motivating. Now, I want to just talk about this for those that really want to see this in the Bible. This message is very biblical. Jesus, in his first public message to Israel, said, I am like a bridegroom. (laughs) How many people know political candidates, they have that first message, this is what we're going to be when they start. That's what Jesus did. I am a bridegroom. He uh, used that in Matthew, in Matthew 22, right before, you know, leading up to that final Passover week. He talked about the parable of a son with a father throwing a wedding banquet, and many weren't ready. But also at the end of his public ministry, he was giving these, uh, it was a private message to his uh, disciples in the upper room, and Jesus told another parable, and it was that he's a bridegroom, and that he is coming, he's returning. And in this parable, it was about preparation, and actually the oil was that what five of these virgins, five of these people in this parable were, be, were prepared for him. And oil really is symbolic of intimacy. And so it's so crucial for us to draw near to the Lord so we can be prepared for the coming bridegroom. We don't want to be taken off guard or unprepared or in a place where we're either offended or burned out or we are distracted or bored. So when the bridegroom is having us partner with his plan right now, and when he comes, we're just disconnected from it. So the final address of Jesus privately to his disciples was, I'm a bridegroom. Do you think it's important? Yeah, it is. The prophet Isaiah, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, Paul, many others use this term referring to Jesus. Matthew 25, verse 6, this is Jesus said in that parable. He said, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Jesus is looking for a people that would be out ready to meet him, prepared for him. Now, let us see. Let's just look at what it means. So if you've got, we've got notes here, and we won't cover all these, so don't feel overwhelmed by it. And I may skip around, but you, I kind of like to give notes so you can look and study it on your own if you're interested. And then I put more verses than we can cover. If you want to use this as a Bible study this week, just to kind of meditate on it. And, and really, I like that because then you can take the things today, and then you can talk to the Lord about it. And you can see what the Lord's saying to you specifically about it and how you can apply it. So I put those, those things there for you. Let us see really three aspects of the bridegroom is that Jesus has deep delight and burning desire and an unquenchable jealousy for his people. So deep delight. Now, get this. This is this isn't how it is natural for most of us that you as in your own heart, how you love the Lord, you want to please him. You're a sincere believer. You're here. He takes deep delight in you. In other words, he authentically enjoys you. There's nothing you have to do to prove that. He enjoys you. He just likes you to be near him. Isaiah 62 verse 4 talks about this. Now, the, it uses a Hebrew word, hepzibah, which just means the Lord delights in you. And this was originally about Israel, but the, all of us are grafted into these promises through Jesus. And verse 4 it says, you shall be called hepzibah, for the Lord delights in you. He delights in you, in you. He delights in you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your Lord rejoice over you. 
You know, some people think that, man, when I'm perfect, God will rejoice over me. It's not, it, that's true, but he can see where you are right now in your life. He can even see where you're going to be a billion years from now. And his delight in you now will not change any more than it will a billion years from now when you have a glorified body and a redeemed thinking and there's no more junk coming out of your mouth and your heart at times. He will enjoy you. He enjoys you just as much now. Doesn't that blow your mind? It says that you're the righteousness of Christ now in Romans 5. You're that righteousness that God is legally giving you. And I'm not talking about sometimes the thoughts we have. Those are living quality of living that God is transforming us. But just the way he's declared you in heaven and how you appear before him in heaven, you will never be more righteous now than you will ever be in the future. Did you ever think about that? You are the righteousness of Christ. It can't be any better. You can't perfect what Jesus has already done, what giving you in heaven. And that same way, you can't, God cannot increase his enjoyment of you as how he feels about you now. If you are sincerely loving him and wanting to give whatever you have in your heart to him, he enjoys you. Now, this is a liberating part of the gospel. We'll unpack that a little bit more. But he also has a burning desire. You know, and that passage that Scott McElroy, um, which I really appreciate him going to Revelation 1. In that, if you look at it, Jesus has red eyes. They're like glowing red eyes. It's the desire for his people. Just like uh, in the ideal situation when a bridegroom is getting ready to get married, he cannot wait for that day. Because at that moment, there is a greater level of partnership and enjoyment and oneness. And Jesus has that for you. His eyes are burning at desire for you. For you to enjoy everything he paid for, for you. For you to have the emotions of God and his kindness and his humility, his love for you, really impact you and change things in your life. He has that, that jealousy. Now, we think of jealousy as like a, a really negative thing. In this context, it's positive. It just means that he only has eyes for you. Of all the things in the universe, of all the things created, you have only the main thing he, you can give him. He, it says, you know, in Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where's the house you can build for me? All these things my hands have made. He's made everything, but he only has really eyes for you. Only you have something you can give him, which is your own voluntary love. He doesn't want a robot. He just wants your love. And his whole life, he's convincing you and showing you, that's his desire, that it's worth it. To love him and that he is a he is valuable to love and that you are valuable as his as his people. And so it is so amazing to think that you have something that God of the universe desires and it's different. The love that I have to give God doesn't mean if I give him, then you don't have to. It's only something you can give because it's only your heart. It's only your expression. So he has unquenchable jealousy for that. In other words, he is so uh, of desiring for us to be in a place we can do that freely. He wants all the adversities of life, the challenges, to actually, instead of his heart's not to beat us down with that, his heart's actually, when those happen, to teach us how much he loves us in those. It's a whole other paradigm of looking at how you live in your life. So that's Jesus as a divine bridegroom. Now, when I'm talking about being his bride, it's not about gender. All right. Letter D It's not about gender. Galatians 3.28 says there's no male or female in the kingdom in this regards. So in other words, men and women are both brides of Christ and sons of God. So women, you get to be sons. It's not about gender. That means you get to inherit the kingdom of God. Men, you get to be brides. 
That doesn't mean you have to think of yourself in a wedding dress. I don't even really want to say that. What that means is you get to relate to God with affections and emotions, and you get to be near to God and partner with the things on his heart. That's a place not of gender, but a place of position. It's a special privilege and position to be next to Jesus like that for eternity. I'm sure it's what made uh, Satan very envious, that we are get to be the eternal partner with God and, and uh, be with him and do things with him. So it's not about gender. It's about position before him. King David was a very masculine character in the Old Testament. He actually cut a giant's head off and paraded it through a city. And he also related to God with delight and affection, like the bridal paradigm. He, he also said, one thing I desire is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He also was one that would sit in the, this was before the veil was in the temple. He would actually be before the ark where the presence of God was and sing praises and enjoy God and get to know God. And from that place, he ruled as a king. So he wasn't a king that just did work. He was a priest and a lover of God who happened to be a king. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. Because did you know Jesus is a priest? He's a high priest. And it says in Zechariah 6, he is a priest forever. Psalms 110, forever in the order of Melchizedek, but he happens to be a king. In other words, everything Jesus is, we will be like, we will learn how to Priests get to know who the Father is so they can mediate that to the earth. We're carrying that. God is giving us that as his people, as his bride. It's a place of position, just like David was learning. Letter E, bridal identity is partnership. Now, this is uh, amazing. I love how in the Old Testament God gives us types or uh, symbols of things that point ahead to something eternal. And this is what's going on here. Did you know that with Adam and Eve, that is a prophetic picture of Jesus in the church and where we're going? So just bear with me here. It's about partnership. Just like when Adam had no suitable partner with him to steward the beautiful and perfect things God had made in that garden. Remember? So God put him to sleep and pulled a rib out of his side and made Eve, and they were co-heirs. All right? They were co-rulers in the garden. That's before the fall. Co-rulers. That was God's plan. And out of that place, they got to steward the creation of God. Everything God had made, they were put in charge of. That is a prophetic picture of Jesus. Where Adam was at the tree and he brought death, Jesus was the second Adam, a sinless man, and he died on a tree. And out of his side, blood and water flowed, right? And he died. And when the Lord rose him, the Lord pulled out the church. He pulled out the church, the the eternal perfected Eve that when the Lord right now is teaching us how to be his partner and when he returns, he will make a new heavens and a new earth, progressively renew the earth, and it will be perfect and good and we will forever partner with him as the church. This is an eternal story. Now, are you following me? That is a picture of our place of privilege. And get this, that means we, Jesus would only marry somebody equally yoked. It says in Corinthians, don't marry an unbeliever for Christians because you're not in the same value system. You're not of the same quality. That means you will be equally yoked with the Son of God. <laughs> you will be like him when you see him for who he is. 
He is going to do that in you. It's written in Scripture. He can do that in each of you. You will be you will look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, be like Jesus. You don't have to work for it. I'm going to talk to you how we become transformed like him. It's not about working harder or behaving differently. It's about coming to get to know him and, and looking at him and agreeing with what he says about who he is. And then the Lord, the Holy Spirit will change you. You got to, we got to learn how to gaze on him and see him. But the Lord will do that. It's a promise that for each of us and collectively as the church, we will be co-heirs and equal in position with the Son of God as partners. Amazing. What a scandal. <laughs> it's like he was so high as the Son of God and came so low to become man so that he could lift us up to rule and reign with him and be with him and enjoy him and enjoy perfection. With him, with the new creation. The way many people think of this earth and why is God so bad? Why does he change evil? Oh, he's going to change evil. Just wait. And part of it is because he's waiting for us to do it with him. He's waiting for us to grow into that partner. And so it really reorients how accusing God. <laughs> we see this wonderful plan. And it's, it puts us on a timeline of redemption. When we see where we're going and we see this is just a short moment in human history. We're going on for billions of years from now. So my little weak yes and my weak faith, if I can just keep sowing my faith, God's going to transform me into that picture. How can I can accuse you of not acting right now in this very second <laughs> the way I want you to? <laughs> but you will. You will bring justice. You will bring healing to me. It just may be in a different timing, a different way, but it's going to happen because I am going to be your partner equally yoked in love, equally yoked in kindness and joy. We are the bride of Christ. Now, these truths are pivotal to growing, drawing close to the Lord in intimacy. It's pivotal. It's, it's, it's so important because when we don't grasp them, then we are doing other things. So I want to look at what some of those other things are in these final 15 minutes and some of these aspects of bridal identity. So Roman numeral two, drawing close to the Lord as our bridegroom. Now, when he... Uh, well, the Lord has purchased us. We, he has given us full access to him. And that reason is to experience his excellence. Now, the word excellence and glory and beauty, they're all really interchangeable. It's about Jesus and his character and his name and his qualities. And so, you know, Jesus is the kindest person you've ever met. I mean, you could look at the ways he treated his disciples. You know, if you, it's, I would love to just take a long time to talk about this. But I remember thinking with Philip after three years of modeling who he was and talking about the father right before giving his life. Philip says, Jesus, just one more thing. Show us the father. And I mean, like, hello, where have you been for three years, Philip? Like, and Jesus was so kind to him. I mean, he's about to give his life for this guy. Jesus wasn't like, oh, man, now you're like, you're like number 11 apostle. Now you're right next to Judas. Now you're going to only get a small part of the kingdom when I return. You know, I mean, think about how sometimes we criticize ourselves or other people or, man, you're just, you're a lost cause. Forget it. God, give me another one. Can you just send me one more before I do this uh, last part of my mission on earth? But instead, he just looked at just Philip and said, Philip, have I not shown you the father so kindly? I remember, uh, you remember that passage of James and John. This is again at the end of the ministry. And there was a village of Samaritans, uh, a different ethnic and religious group that didn't want to receive Jesus's message. And James and John were like, can we send down fire on them? Like, I mean, and the crazy thing is what made them think they could do that? That's, that's, that'll mess with you. Like, they actually thought they could do that. The Lord would let them do that. And he, he's like, they're basically, let's nuke them all. Let's burn them all. It's, it's kind of bloodthirsty, all right? And Jesus is like, 
you know, he's, he's shown, him, shown them his way of ministry in the Father's heart for those three years. He just looked at them and said, you guys don't know of what spirit you are. Just so kind. So he is, the Lord wants us to meet his kindness, meet his humility, meet these things about him. And uh, the way we do that is really by through the word, reading the word, meditating, talking to the Lord. And as we gaze on him, and this isn't in the notes, but 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says we are transformed from glory to glory, from his image to our image by the spirit. That's how we get changed. It's not by behavior modification. It's actually looking at Jesus and talking to the Holy Spirit and agreeing with those truths about him. That's how we are transformed. It's a work of the spirit with our participation of gazing. And so, but when Jesus did this, he, as a bridegroom, he had one desire. Now, if I don't know about you, but I want to know the one desire of God, right? I want to know what that one desire is. And I would like to, I would like to help give that to him. I would like to actually bring him that one desire. And what was that? Was it for a stronger workforce? Was he like, God, give me a lot of workers so I can just accomplish a lot? It's like, no, that really wasn't. He wasn't asking for a stronger workforce. What was he asking for? Well, it said, John 17, said, Father, I desire that those that you gave me may be with me where I am and that they would behold my glory, my excellency, my beauty, which you have given me. Now, many people read this and they think, you know, so we talked about what glory is and excellency. That's the, that's the attributes of Jesus that we can meditate on in Scripture. But many people think uh, when we think about be with him, we're thinking about heaven. But that's not fully true. That's only partially true. It's actually being with him right now in our spirit. Did you know when you pray, you appear in the heavenly city of Mount Zion. You appear in heaven. That you are one with Jesus. It says that in Hebrews chapter 10. Approaching the Mount Zion, which is not the Zion of earthly Jerusalem, it's where the Father is. A company of angels, saints, saints that have been perfected. You can gaze on Jesus now, by the, escorted by the Holy Spirit as you talk to the Lord. And he can enlighten things about Jesus to you. That desire, you can give Jesus by you praying and getting to know Jesus. You can start giving him that now. Did you think about that? That you have the ability to give the Son of God the one thing he desired. It is so invigorating to know that when you engage in that, even if you feel tired or you're battling with condemnation or you're, um, you know, you feel distracted, but your heart's desire is to give him that one desire. And maybe you start changing things in your life so that it fits his one desire. He's knowing that he likes that and that he enjoys it. He's not there with a, uh, a task list telling you what you need to do or not or that you're doing it wrong, but he just likes you coming close to give him that one desire, that's really compelling. That really helps me want to be close to the Lord. Let's see, letter B. We posture our lives in order to receive the benefits of his leadership. And so, we all need love and security and peace, direction and provision. These are all healthy things that we need. And, but, if we learn to come to the Lord as our bridegroom, we don't have to strive for them. In other words, coming to him and talking to him about that financial need or about that relational difficulty or about um, that place of brokenness in your life, trying to fix it on your own or solve it on your own is actually getting out from underneath his covering as a bridegroom, and that will keep you at a distance from him. 
because you're now focused on that, and that thing becomes your attention. But those challenges and taking it to your bridegroom, he will actually teach you how to get refreshed in a season meant to burn you out. He will teach you how to overcome in a season meant to break you. And I'm talking about meant by the enemy or just natural life. He can do that. Let's look at uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, now it's using a comparison of Jesus like an apple tree versus other trees. He says, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved. So so is Jesus. He's like an apple tree. So just bear with me. Uh, my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So the Lord's saying, you know, apple trees, first of all, trees provide shade and covering, Right? Apples provide strengthening and refreshing versus just a regular tree. Jesus is saying, come under my leadership and sit under me, sit next to me. That's all you got to do. I will show you how to get strengthened, refreshed, and protect you from things that would harm you. Now, that is a different paradigm than what many of us learned growing up. Many of us learned we had to take care of ourselves. And so we've spent so much energy doing that. And we're so used to doing that, that we really feel like Jesus sometimes is irrelevant. We've gotten used to that, at least culturally. Instead of, and, and it's kind of scary learning to trust. I feel like the word for today is trust. I, I got that, and I it's got it again. It's learning to trust Jesus in this role. And by doing that, and I'm, I'm not saying you just go under his tree, you're under him, and that's all you do. He will tell you what to do with those problems very practically. Very practically. I've had him... Very uh, practically helped me address things about our family mission trip, about certain financial issues. But it sometimes takes a while to get quiet to hear. And many of us want to just check out or believe he won't talk to us or believe that he won't speak about that. But I really believe that for some here in the room that the Lord wants you to reassess that those moments and reconsider learning to come under him and learn about him as a taking care of you like sitting under him as an apple tree. I think he really wants to learn how you can come under him for protection and guidance and security for those areas maybe that if you keep pursuing them on your own, it will burn you out. Uh, it could maybe even, it could even lead for anger on offense. You know, it could really lead to that. And then years later, you could be angry and offended and point a finger at God, but we maybe never got a chance to learn to get under his leadership in that area. We never learned the benefits of what he had to offer in that area. So learning, and that really blocks intimacy. <laughs> then we're never intimate. And we could be at church for 10 years and still have that area of offense and never be drawing close to God in intimacy, just going through the motions. The Lord, the Lord wants us with him. He wants us to enjoy him. And he wants those barriers that maybe we have accidentally or inadvertently erected against him. He wants them down so that we can be free to enjoy his leadership. Look at the top of page two. I think, number one, if we develop a culture in our family, in our own lives, our church, which I believe this church has a history in this. This church, you guys are walking in this. But we always can grow deeper. But I think this is a part of the inheritance of this church, which is teaching people to receive from the Lord first over just doing things for him. That culture will teach people how to go to God first and receive from him. And, and you'll have a stronger group of people because everyone's under his leadership versus looking for two people. <laughs> And having them tell everybody what to do. It is about each of us coming to him as a bridegroom. This really, uh, 
Number one here, loving Jesus on his terms is the only way to build our lives, guarding us from burnout, boredom, and empty works. You know, it's hard to get um, maybe offended when we see Jesus' love for the church, when we see his love for us. You know, it's, it's easy to get offended. We all get offended. But to stay offended, if you're connecting with the Lord as a bridegroom in his heart for you, and the church, it may hurt, but you will try to get rid of that offense in a healthy way because you want to be back. You want to be connected with the Lord and you see his love for the church. It's a real easy way to stay from not getting offended and even from burnout. Um, you know, there may be things that you are used to thinking, I have to do these, these and these things to be a good Christian. I have to do these, these and these things to be a good mom. I have to do these, these, and these things at my work to be a good worker. And some of those are legitimate, but you ha- have you asked your bridegroom what he wants you to do and how you need to position your heart in some of those things? I've seen people where the Lord's spoken to them very clearly, and they have gone into seasons where they began partnering with God. And the amount of breakthrough and healing and overcoming that came out of that season simply because they listened to what God's agenda was for them for that season. I've seen others that... Have, have maybe, I mean, again, you don't know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying I'm the seat of, a, of judging how it went, but have been uh, maybe caught up in work so much or caught up in something else so much that it's kind of been a block from them putting God first to hearing, and then some of those issues have prolonged and persisted for decades. And those issues maybe are causing offense or anger. The Lord wants us to come under his leadership. It really, coming to him as a bridegroom helps us with empty works. I remember uh, a student, one youth group here, when we had, he, the Lord gave him a dream of, of, a, uh, of a place of worship where there was all these treadmills on the stage. And, like, that's a really bad picture, just so you know. Like, in treadmills, you don't go anywhere. You burn a lot of energy, you don't go anywhere, okay? Now, if you're a runner and you need to, you know, I understand that. I, that's a nice way to run when it's raining or your shins hurt. But that's not what we're talking about here. And the Lord was like saying, you know, many times we can get in those places and we all can fall into that where we're just going through the motions and actually burning energy and we're not doing anything or going anywhere. I mean, it's like really sobering, really sobering. And what would stop? What would be the opposite? Well, I think the opposite would be coming under the Lord's leadership in our personal lives and also expressing that corporately. And then we're at that place where uh, abiding and fruit can be born. And we won't even be burnt out. We'll work hard. We'll probably even work harder with the Lord because we'll be motivated so by the things on his heart and motivated by love. But we won't be burned out because we'll be doing it with him. And we won't be doing it for achieving something for ourselves, but doing it because we want to give it to him. Totally different. And doing things because we're talking to him, he'll keep us from those places of burnout or from disappointment. The Lord wants us to relate to him as a bridegroom. Well, these are all essential things that the Lord has for us. And, you know, I, I think we'll just stop here. There's many more you can look at. And um, following your notes, you can read about those later. But I just want to stop here and want to have a time of um, just ministering. Lord, if the worship team wants to come forward and um, if the ministry team likes to get together. But uh, if you read, continuing your notes, you can see the Lord will help give confidence and help you walk in freedom and grace and also prepare you for him. Those are other aspects of knowing Jesus as a bridegroom that will help you draw near to him. So there's just a little more there we can handle today, but I'm really uh, excited about it. So, okay. So if the ministry team could come forward.
up front, and Lynn will uh, be playing here. And I just want to wait on the Lord and see what he wants to do in our ministry time. Just, um, just quiet our hearts. And Jesus, here we are, and just talking about you as a bridegroom and about the things on your heart. I'm just going to take a moment just to get quiet and wait on the Lord. saying this is one of the keys of fruitfulness for your this next season as a church and just some of the things we talked about today a paradigm of relating to the Lord as a bridegroom Lord those uh, places I think there's some places of hesitancy trusting the Lord in a key specific area in your life where you know that you've maybe come in and out of leaning on him as an apple tree and getting covering and shade and refreshment you've come in and out of that you want to give that to the Lord today you want to commit it back to the Lord so that you can experience his covering his guidance his direction in that area I just want you to come forward if you if you'd like to you're invited to we want to pray for you that the Lord would just give you his heart and his encouragement in that area you've been uh, feeling that it's a difficult place to trust and I feel like some that the Lord wants you that you have not felt his delight in a long time it's just been it's almost like a foreign language when I'm talking about God delighting you and to feel his affections and his emotions. We want to pray for you today. And just that the Lord, that you would just say, God, I'm open to experiencing you emotionally and in, and in my life, in my thought life. Where there is, I don't sense your delight. I maybe I'll sense, I feel shame or condemnation or heaviness. Lord, I, I, or just feeling blank. God, I want to encounter your delight for me. I want that to drive me. Just come forward today. Let us pray for you and let the Lord... Uh, in your act of faith that you'd say, I want that. I know the Lord will honor that. He's going to give you grace. He loves you and he wants to show you and convince you of some of these truths today. Even that some of these truths were new to you, come forward, let us pray for you that the Lord would uh, take it and make it a reality for you.
want to just release your affection in, in each of our hearts right now, Jesus. Release your affection. Release your desire for us. And help us see it. Help us see how you see us. How you long for us. Oh, Lord, for those that we've kept ourselves in a distance intentionally just because we're afraid or we don't think you're going to come through or we've just kept ourselves at a distance because we think you're irrelevant. <laughs> Lord, forgive us that we think that you are irrelevant, Lord, and that you, Lord, have the first place in our heart. Lord, that you would be the first person that we go to. Lord, that we would see you as that apple tree. Lord, teach us to sit like Mary at your feet and that you would show us the things on your heart, Lord. Father, we just forgive us for our own human pride that we think our own efforts can produce something amazing without you. Lord, draw us in, Lord. Draw us in closer into your very heart and that we could take a deeper delight in doing things with you and talking to you and seeing you do things we couldn't even imagine because we opened the door and we waited and we did it with you. And Lord, that you would do a new work, Lord, even in this place, even in my friends here, this at the Vineyard Community Church, a new work, God, where many have been tired and, and weary of doing the same things. And Lord, you're saying to us together collectively, come closer to me, I'm your bridegroom. Don't neglect your first love. You've been fruitful in your life, but your first love, I'm crying out to you and saying, come, come, come to me. I'm the only one that have rivers of living water for you. I'm the only one that can touch the deeper places. And I want to touch those deeper places because I made you. And I want to satisfy you with good things from my heart and good things from my table. I feel like somebody lost their car keys this week. Somebody lost your car keys. You've lost the keys to your car. God wants to touch you. <laughs> Lord wants to touch you. You're looking for how to start your car, start your ministry. I mean, this is maybe even symbolic. Start your, start something in your life, like your, your ministry or your, um, starting a new thing in your life, and you don't know where the keys are. You don't know how to do it. You are completely lost. You don't know how it works. Lord wants to help you today. If there's anybody else that would like to help pray for people, just come on up. Just come on up. I feel like there's somebody, and we all have been here before. You feel like you're too dirty for God. You feel that you have done something or something is in your mind or heart that's too dirty. That, that God wouldn't want you. And that you have been, you love the Lord, you're here, you've been here a long time, a long, long, long time. And yet you put yourself at distance from God because you think you're too dirty. And the Lord says, you're not too dirty. I've paid for you with my blood. I've washed you. You are accepted in my house. You are my son. Come here. Let me love on you today. Let me show you how much I love you. Don't put yourself at a distance. My heart yearns for you. My heart loves you so much. I don't want you to feel the pain of some of the thoughts that you think that you're too dirty. You're not good enough for me. I loved you. When I created you, you're perfect. And the enemy tried to come against you and distort those things and, and make you feel bad about the stuff that you've had to walk through. But I love you. 
that you are my son and you have a special place in my heart. And I feel like that is, the Lord wants to touch you today. I just let those words wash over you. God, I pray you'd set us free. Those of us that can identify with that, set us free. No more do we live under the yoke of slavery. We are not slaves to condemnation, Lord, but we have a new identity in Christ, that we are the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that we will never be more righteous, Lord, than we are today legally in your throne room. What a gift. Thank you, Lord. Release the understanding in this room of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Release the understanding, Lord, right now in our minds and hearts that you have paid for everything. And when you look at us, you see Jesus. You see his heart and you see his righteousness. Thank you, Lord. So if um, you need to get your children or if we'll kind of keep doing prayer ministry. So let's keep an atmosphere, atmosphere ministry. If you want to come up and get more prayer, but you're dismissed if you'd like. And the Lord bless you. We just bless you. You can sit in your seat and receive. So we'll dismiss uh, the service now. And, and if you need to get your children, you're free to do that. And just bless you guys. We love you.